Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along with co-host Pat Gallagher, and extremely excited for today's guest in Alton Bird, a true, you know, Pat, Pat and I were talking about this earlier, but true versatile podcast guest. I mean, just so many experiences and a true, uh, you know, legend in the business. Uh, Alton, really excited to have you on, not only to talk about your playing experiences, but your experiences in the front office as well. Uh, Pat, I'm going to kick it to you to uh, start the conversation. So Alton Bird may be the most versatile guest we've ever had on the podcast. And what I mean by that is, you know, he was not only a player, but he was a coach, broadcaster, general manager, um, and also has worked in both football and basketball. But and right now he's the vice president of business business operations for the Long Island Nets, uh, the uh, G League team in the NBA. But what I really want to start off with is, Alton, you you know, your roots started here in San Francisco. Um, you went from San Francisco, uh, a high school star at Reardon High School here in San Francisco, and then went to Columbia. I want to talk a little bit about what took you to Columbia. But, but the, the real key thing is that I, a lot of people may not know this, but um, there were two birds taken in the 1979 NBA draft. <laughs> there was two. There was two. There was one that maybe a lot of people know about, and then there's one that after this podcast. So, welcome to the podcast. And and what was it like? What was it like being taken in that draft? Well, Pat, Jake, thank you for having me. I have to say, Jake said a legend in the business and I, I, I it's not every day you get to spend time with with pat gallagher who is the real legend in the business um <laughs> no, a, guy, no, no. <laughs> a guy i grew up emmy trying to emulate you know when he was when you were with the, the giants pat i always said man i'd like to be like pat gallagher and work for the giants and work in my hometown so you've always been a highly respected well, member of my uh, thank you of my group, but being drafted, um, in 1979 with Larry Bird, um, a was fun and B, you know, you have to remember that was when you had nine rounds at the draft and the guys that you drafted in the sixth and seventh round, most of the guys you drafted in the first and second round, um, going to camp with Larry, um, and going, I, it, it's funny, you may remember um, Eric Fernstein from USF, who yep. played at the same time. We flew together to Boston. The night before I left, I, my right arch fell. Um, and so I didn't get a chance to scrimmage a lot. I scrimmaged one day. Um, but I went to camp. It was a real, I, I, I tell people, it was a real honor to see Larry play as a rookie because people always ask me, was he any good? Was he? And I was like, the day the kid picked up the ball, he was he was an NBA All Star. He was so far ahead of everybody else, just his instincts, his basketball IQ. Um, but I was also at camp with Dave Cowens, Gerald Henderson. The year that I got drafted, the year after that, they made the playoffs. They had the single biggest increase in wins. Not to say that I had anything to do with that, but I was at least at camp. Um, it was a real honor. I was I was blessed to be able to go, and then when I got cut because I was injured, uh, that might have had something to do with it. It was more like Gerald Henderson and Ricky Marsh, and they had some pretty good players ahead of me. But I got a chance to go. 
I got a chance to spend time with Red Auerbach. I got a chance to spend time with the inimitable Bill Fitch, who was the coach at the time. Um, and, you know, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, but the, the great thing about it, too, was, and it's funny, you know, you talk about people who have dreams and you, you know, you've, you, you know, I, I, about your background, you had dreams. But also what happens sometimes is, you know, you, there are things that happen that you have no control over and you have to pivot and sort of make a change in your career. And so in looking at your career, after being a star here in San Francisco and then going to Columbia, which is not only a great place to play basketball, but, you know, not a bad education there either. Uh, getting drafted in the NBA, I'm sure you were thinking about this. All of a sudden now you can't play and you made a pivot and you wound up going to Europe. And let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, why did you at that point, why did you wind up going to Europe to play? Well, it's an interesting story. My senior year, um, we had an alum named David Dubow who owned and started a company called IMS International. They were at the forefront of market research for pharmaceutical companies. They were a global institution. And unbeknownst to me, he'd been watching me through my college career. He would come to games. They had a corporate headquarters in New York and a corporate headquarters in London. And he had been coming to college games to watch me play. And in April of my senior year, after our season had finished, uh, he called and said, look, I am looking to to build a mid-management infrastructure for my company. The company he had was ultimately ended up being worth a billion dollars. Um, and he started it years and years before, but he provided these books for all of the large pharmaceuticals like Bayer, companies like that to monitor their sales. So he said, look, I have no mid-level managers. Um, I'm very interested in having you come and join our company in London. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. That's a little bit far. <laughs> and then he said, look, you know, come visit. I visited in May. He said, look, if, if, and I said, look, I, I don't know that I'm ready to move to Europe yet. Um, but he said, look, I, I have a job for you for the summer, work out. I got drafted by the Celtics. I said, let me work out the summer. And if it doesn't work out with the Celtics, you know, I, look, I, I'll come, maybe I'll come over. So I worked for him for the summer, worked out every day. The night before I go to rookie camp, um, my right arch fells, falls. And it turns out that I came back from Boston. Uh, he called. He called me before I went to camp and said, you know, good luck and I hope you don't make it. I was like, well, that's not very nice. But he was like, look, I'd rather you come work for me. And after he said, look, job's still open if you can get here. Now, what he then said is I also own a small, a, a small share in a basketball club called Crystal Palace. Would you be interested in playing when you get here? And of course, I was like, sure, as long as it doesn't interrupt work. Um, and from there, it just kind of took off. Um, I was the first point guard in in the UK to make it big enough. Um, and then I was one of the first American guards in Europe to compete at a high level against the large scale European teams like Real Madrid, Maccabi Tel Aviv, FC Barcelona. So... 
um, basketball took off. Uh, my career took off. I thought I would play a year and stay a year and ended up staying 19. I ended up staying 20, 20 years in the UK. Wow. Wow. And um, you got, I got to, I got to, I got to jump in real quick. IMS International, potentially the same company that merged with IMS Health, which is now IQVIA. Is that correct? Yes. Which is my company my dad works for. So look at that small world. <laughs> yeah. And how I, how I somehow put that together. Yeah. Yeah. You did that pretty quickly too, unless you, unless you did research without our knowledge. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Nonetheless, you know, playing overseas, uh, you know, running the operations of a G League team now, you're seeing players of such caliber that you were at, right? And trying to make those dreams come true and and ultimately um, continue to play. What are some of the differences between, you know, the sports overseas versus, you know, playing in the G League? It's it's an interesting question. most clubs of size, like the bigger clubs, whether it be Serbia, whether it be Israel, are really scouting and signing players when they're much younger because, you know, the infrastructure is club basketball more than it is high school basketball or college basketball. It's been that way for 70 years. You know, Real Madrid signs a kid in, you know, who's 13, uh, and, and you can look at a Luka Doncic as an example. You sign a kid at 13 or 14, you're paying for his room and board, you're paying him some money, and you can develop him year over year until he's 17, 18, 19, sometimes 20. And if they're that good, i.e. Luka Doncic or Christoph Parzingis, where they're playing club basketball, then they come to the, to, uh, the NBA. Um, it just doesn't happen that often because club basketball is pretty competitive. Spain, Greece, Italy, France, Belgium. Um, those are some good, they have good club teams and they pay pretty well. Their arenas are, some of them are NBA size. Um, but I think there's a different level of development and a much younger age at which players get developed and get selected and get signed to professional contracts. Um, so that's the fundamental difference. The G league is starting to evolve that way with the new pro path, uh, professional path program that Rod Strickland runs for the G league. Sharif Abdur Rahim is the league president and together, you know, they've started signing players who are high school seniors who don't have a plan to go to college or don't want to go to college or have elected the option to come to the G league. And this year we'll have five players, um, three of which are probably top seven picks in the 2021 draft. So I think the G league is evolving from what I would call, you know, the second best league in the world, which is what they, which, which is what people like to use to call a G league to more about the best young talent in the world. And so we're getting younger talent. We're getting younger as a, as a, an organization. And I think fundamentally uh, it'll benefit the NBA because I think there will be more players who will select the G league option um, going forward. Brian Shaw is coaching the team. Um, They're going, you know, the the five or six of them are going to be mixed with uh, some veterans who could easily get picked up. They'll play 25 to 30 games but 
That's the fundamental difference, how young players develop uh, in Europe versus, you know, here we have an AAU system, we have a high school system, we have a college system, but players in Europe are with one club and they develop through the process over the course of many years. They rarely change teams or clubs. And, and And on the flip side, you've got the front office personnel as well, right? Where it's almost created a pipeline in a sense for the NBA franchises who have affiliates, you know, similar to an MLB or an NHL team in the, in similar respects. Um, Can you chat a little bit about how that's evolved and, and where you see that growing as the business side continues to grow on, on the G league side? Well, the, the, talent pool that we have evolved the one thing i love about the g league is that unlike you know when you work for an nba team you if you if you're hired on the ticket sales side it's ticket sales you get if you're hired on sponsorship or partnership marketing or marketing that's your job in the g league you actually get a chance to do a little bit of everything because we just don't have the big sizes of staffs So the 28 teams that are in the G League, I I always like to say the best education people can get is working in the G League because you do a little bit of marketing, you do a little bit of ticket sale, everybody does a little bit of everything. um, And it really works out for the individual to develop where their passion is through the G League. We play 50 games, 24 at home, 24 away, and then the showcase. And so our staff get a chance to see everything. They get a chance to see finance, budgeting, um, marketing, the law. They look at contracts. They're all kind of looking at the same contract so that they can get familiar. So our pipeline is, yeah, we look at colleges. We, we look at, you know, people who've been in the business who want to be in more of a small business. And the other thing I'd say about the G League is you have to be far more entrepreneurial. Um, and you have to be far more aware of the fact that you have a little bit more latitude to do things you don't have to do in, in the NBA or MLB or, you know, Pat hires somebody for ticket sales. They don't get to talk to lawyers. It's like grind, pick up the phone, go meet people, sell tickets. In our business, you get a chance to talk to a little bit of everybody and everybody who buys a seat or who buys a season ticket, you're looking at their contract it's not sent from somewhere else. So it's, it's um, a really educational way to do it. And our connection to Europe is there are far more sports management programs with kids who come from Italy, Spain, France, England, the UK, wherever, who go to these sports management schools as graduate programs and they come out and they want to work in sports, take the education and sometimes go back home. But some of them like staying. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, if you've listened to if people who listen to this podcast know that I'm sort of big on, on sales experience. And I, what, what, what that means is that can follow you any, in any role, whether it's in sports or in business, whatever. And, and I know that you've coached a lot of kids, not just in to play the game, but you've coached them through the sort of business uh, part of this. Uh, Alton, what was your, I mean, did you ever have a sales job? I mean, you've had a sales job in sports, but are there any, what was your first experience in, in having to sell something? So it was probably in Europe. Um, when I was 23, 24, and I moved from London to Edinburgh, 
I became the GM, <laughs> the head coach, and a player. So I did three <laughs> jobs, right? But I was also responsible for sp- for sponsorship and marketing. Basically, uh, our owner, David Murray, who ended up owning Glasgow Rangers, um, wanted the best team in Britain. So he hired me. I hired an assistant coach. I went out and sold sponsorship. I talked about our home games. I talked about our television contracts. I talked about our game. So that was the first time, 23 years old. I was selling sponsorship for a team in Scotland. And I learned the quintessential piece about sales, which is um, you have to have or be able to manage and create and sustain relationships. And it doesn't matter whether they're buying a t-shirt or whether they're buying a seat or whether they're spending, you know, thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in sponsorship relationship building is critical to sales. Um, and that's where I learned it. I, I literally learned, started at 23. And from then on, every, everything that I do has some kind of relationship capacity and sustainability model, which allows people to buy, you know, choose me to spend their money with as opposed to something else, some other entertainment offer. So that's where I've been. I I started at 23. I'm pretty much self-taught. I also learned that it's really important you get along with people. (laughs) (laughs) Your, your, your experience in the WNBA, I mean, had to have been uh, an interesting one being on, you know, having been a coach, having been a player, having been in the front office, where, you know, to, to your point about um, being able to, you know, have your hand in a lot of different buckets uh, in the G League, you know, similarly speaking on the WNBA side, um, similar path, right? And in, in, in that you're still trying to establish a brand, um, you know, you might have a couple of big names to, uh, to go off of, but it's still that family experience and still uh, similar value proposition, right? It is. And and here's the thing about the W. Like, uh, this is just me talking, but I, I think uh, the WNBA athletes are the most articulate professional sports athletes in the country. I think they have all, believe it or not, I, I, I want to say something like 90% of all of the players have graduated, got degrees. They're not frightened of the microphone. They know how to represent themselves. Um, they're really articulate, knowledgeable about social justice issues, knowledgeable about criminal justice. They understand our business. So they understand how important it is for our business and for the business of the WNBA to succeed. And they invest themselves in it. Um, I think the W has, you know, has an awful lot of really good things going forward. Um, and working in the W, it was, it was quite honestly, if you're going to watch basketball and you want to watch the, the really the best players in the world and the way the WNBA players play the game, that's who you take your kids to go see. You go take them, you would take them to see the W. The NBA has the best players and athletes of all the sports in my estim- estimation. But if you want to watch how the game is played in its purest form, go watch the W. They know how to play and they know how to play with all the nuances and the places and the footwork and the fundamentals. And like, it's not 
dunking, but they know how to make shots and they know how to do really good things on the court. And it's an attractive brand of basketball. There's still a couple dunks here and there. Yeah, Brittany, Brittany, Brittany Griner can can get up, and I think there's probably there's probably a dozen or so players that can dunk. But most people go to those games because Sue Bird can play. You know, oh, yeah. Diana Taurasi can play. Um, our sister team, you know, the New York Liberty, have Sabrina Inescu. Like I'm looking forward to watching her play Saturday because you know I really want to watch her play. She's part of our family of brands between us, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Liberty, but she's probably going to be a superstar. So, you know, the W has, has like, they just understand the value of sports, and they play hard every play. There's no off plays in the WNBA. There's no, so, load, there's no load management in the WNBA. <laughs> so, yeah, because, so what you're really saying is, you know, the WNBA doesn't necessarily – you just don't rely on physical on the your physical. I mean, in the NBA, you know, you got some people that are just not they're just not like normal people. I mean, they're right. they're 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 bigger. And I know, you know, for you and and I, I, we, maybe we should settle something right now about what height you played at. You know, it, it's it's a it's a big debate whether you played at five eight or five nine. Which was it? So I am by measurement of my doctor five foot nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking we, with that, Pat. That's on your. I, hey, I'm with you. I'm with now, you. Now you might stand next to me and go, "No way, that dude is five nine. But I, according to my doctor, am five nine. My wife says to me all the time, "You, there's no way you're five nine. I'm like, "You're five two. How would you know?" <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you Alton. Alton's got the Alton's got the Air Force ones on at the doctor's right. office. Well, that's I also right. I'll give you a clue though. As you get older, which uh, you know, I'm way older than both of you. You do have a tendency to sh- to settle. I don't say I don't want to say shrink, but you have a tendency to settle. So, um, so, 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 I know you've done a lot of coaching, not just basketball coaching, but coaching young people. And a lot of folks here are are in, on the um, who listen to the podcast are people who are students or they're in the business and they're trying to make their way. Um, tell us, tell us how you're. You know, some of the things that you try to coach um, young, uh, young talent who, I mean, no matter how good you are at a sport, y- nobody can do this forever. You have to, you know, go with the skills that you have. But tell us about some of your coaching, your coaching advice for young people sort of coming up in the business. That's a great question, Pat. We, we have a pretty robust internship program at BSE Global, our parent company, and on Long Island, you know, we have three to four interns per semester. So, you know, what we try to do is say to every intern, it, there's three or four things that you, you have to do if you really want to get into this business and you want to understand it. Number one, this will sound crazy. You should never walk around without a pen and a piece of paper or a book or a notebook because Every time that you leave your desk, you are learning something important. And whether that's I'm learning about digital media, I'm learning about, you know, social social justice issues or community issues or things that sports teams have as a part of its organization. And as an intern, you get a perspective 
as a young person coming into a business, you get to learn all of the aspects of the business. So number one, always have pen and paper. Number two, ask questions, ask questions, ask more questions because you don't know what you don't know. And you're never going to find it if you expect to find everything on social media or in the digital world. At the end of the day, you got to ask tons of questions, find people, seek out people that are willing to mentor you, ask questions. How do I get to meet this person? How do I get to connect with this person? How do I learn more about, you know, the business of ticket sales or the business of ticket sales and service? Uh, how do I learn about facilities operations? Because as you know, Pat, there are 150 jobs on a game day that people are doing in sports. And they range from food and beverage to facilities operations to equipment managers, all ways to be in sports, all ways to learn about, about sports. So I, I always say to people, ask questions. And then I think third and, and final is you have to be able to network and build relationships with people and be willing to do what is asked of you even though you might go, I don't know how that's going to hurt. Because as a young person in sports, you know, unless you're a superstar walking out of college and you've sold $2 million worth of sponsorship for the University of Kentucky and you can kind of pick your job, everybody else, you're just trying to learn from and network. So you've got to build relationships and you got to network and you can't be frightened about asking Hey, how do I connect with this person? How do I get involved with that? The, there's one other thing, Pat. Getting involved in community within an organization is the best way to learn about what your organization stands for. And I always believe that if you participate in community activities, you'll learn a lot. You'll meet a lot of people. You'll meet sponsors and partners and people and community groups that really are a part of the organization they're just an external part. So those are the four things I tell our interns. And on Long Island, we, we have a tendency and, and, and like to hire really good interns. So there, there are so many jobs. And as you know, Pat, there, there are thousands. There used to be thousands of minor league teams that are looking for new hires, kids in college, kids out of college kids who want to learn the sports business. Alton, you, you mentioned something in your last point about, you know, ultimately just getting experience, right? And that can even be through, you know, you mentioned in the community, right? But that can be even through just volunteering. Yes. It could be Habitat for Humanity. You yes. never know who you're going to meet. And I want to use the example of, you know, halfway through this episode where I put two and two together with, you know, the guy that, you, you know, you started with somehow owns the company that my dad works for, right? Like you just never know who you're going to meet, who they know, and, and ultimately uh, what kind of perspectives they can give you um, to give you, you know, to give an example, uh, sports biz camps had their first virtual camp last week. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of a, a lunch and learn with five high school students uh, along with four other professionals. And, you know, we just, we were on the zoom and we were talking about, uh, you know, different pieces of advice. And just by being on there and, and hearing their questions, I learned something. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, one would ask, well, how are you going to learn something from a high schooler? You're in the industry. Well, they've got a different perspective than I do. So I'm going to learn something from them. And so it's, it's not just a one-way street, it's a two-way street. Uh, and, and I'm sure, you know, from a, from a perspective of someone like yourself, who's had so many different experiences in the industry, um, you, know, you can attest to that. And all in the, one of the questions I'd have for you as we wrap up the episode is, when you reflect on the things that you've been able to accomplish in your career, uh, you, you mentioned relationships a couple of times throughout this episode and that um, those are, you know, the foundation and, and most of importance uh, throughout your career. What advice do you have on the relationship side of things as people are continuing to, you know, network and, and build relationships, not only, you know, uh, with people above them who are older, people who are younger, people who are the same age, but to build genuine relationships and not just for the job. It, you know, I, my mom, God rest her soul, who raised me as a single mom, used to say, uh, boy, seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And I always used to say, I don't know what the hell that means, mom. But as, <laughs> And then as I got older, basically what she was saying is, ask people how they are doing. Ask people about them first seek to find out about those people and what drives them and what motivates them because once people know you care about them they they will share all kinds of wonderful information they will share their love they will share their passion if you just ask people what what is it that i can do for you what is it that i can help you with and i always think people are especially nowadays, people sometimes are unarmed when you just say, hey, what can I do to help you? What can I do for you? And if if that is a part of who you are and a part of your relationship strategy, it is much easier to build and sustain strategies than it, and sustain relationships than it is to try and create something which isn't authentic, which people can see through. And the majority of people can see through it when you want something before you ask them for something. And so they get turned off. So in my mind, the single biggest thing is seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And that creates like relationships. People go, I, I, I like Jake. You know, Jake asked questions of me. He, he, he wanted to know more about me even though he's the more experienced and he works in the PGA and like, you know, I, I used to love that about Pat. He would always say, Hey man, how can I help you? And the length of his career, he has been that way. How can I help you? What can I do for you? What can I do that will help you move further? Well, you know, Alton, this is, and we're, we're going to wrap this up, but I, I, I do want to, put you on the hook. We may want to have you on another episode to talk about something more specific down there, but, you know, listening to you, you can sort of tell why you've had success. Um, Cause you took the most of the, of the, the athletic ability that you had and created uh, and, and were interested enough to create relationships and to, to, to build relationships with others, which really is the secret business of sports, but it's sort of the secret in life. And you know what? It sort of makes life more fun living. So really appreciate you coming on. 
Um, we wish you good luck. We'll keep an eye on the, you know, on the nets. And, uh, um, and, you know, I hope I get a chance to meet Larry Bird someday so I can tell him, hey, I, I know the guy that you were drafted with. And, you know, I know, I know a lot more about him than I do about you. So uh, anyway. Chances are good there, Pat. He, 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 he's uh, actually Larry's a pretty good guy. You know, even at rookie camp, he was he was nice to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's funny, the times that I met him through my travels, even when I was with the Kings and and, you know, I, I've kind of been in and out and through the NBA and, and his family, you know, he's always been a very nice and kind guy. So um, I'd be happy to be on any time you guys ask, um, happy to to chat about anything related, you know, as far as the Nets are concerned, we're a growing and building organization and, you know, we're a part of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, if you watch us scrimmage tomorrow night, you'll see a lot of former Long Island Nets on that team. And, you know, quite frankly, our GM, Matt Riccardi, who's also the director of scouting for the Brooklyn Nets, uh, he and Sean Marks have done a really cool job turning things around with the Brooklyn Nets. So, you know, I'm happy to be on. Thank you guys for having me and, and truly appreciate you guys acknowledging the things that I and we as a family have, have accomplished. Alton, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate your words of wisdom and, and insights and certainly look forward to uh, having you on again in the future. And uh, thank you so much. Talk to you soon.